Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm the winter of your discontent. I'm Anna Alex. <laughs> Unbowed, unbent, unbritten, I'm Britain. <laughs> so. <laughs> Things, yeah, we've. Uh... We've done some restructuring. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, guys, it's it's season two. We're in season two of of Here Come the Sequels. Yeah, season one um, lasted four years. <laughs> season one was yeah. four years. This is it's like a it's like a anime, you know? We're exactly, just, exactly. We're just rolling with it. Now we're in arc two, Cookie Skyway of the Azure Rose. <laughs> Basically, what happened um, was uh, Rise of Skywalker scarred us so badly that we had to move on to a completely different medium. <laughs> for, for finding good storytelling, it's a it's a TV detox. Yes. It's what we're doing here. Yes, um, we will we will get back to movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know you want us to review Ice Age and <laughs> Phantasm. Uh, I don't know and, and the American Pie movies. We all know the American the Pie big movies. hits everywhere. <laughs> just Animal House. Just the movie I mean, Animal House is on the on I the mean, docket. I, I can't complain um, about that. <laughs> But yeah, we no, we. I don't think we have any intention of doing any other TV shows. Uh, but this is just something that. Uh, well, lipstick jungle, but. Sure, <laughs> um, I think all of us, Big Little Lies, um, all of us are fascinated by the show and the uh, cultural, uh, I guess, reaction to the show and the actual content. There's much to unpack here that I think we're fascinated by. It's also a show that is quite cinematic in mm-hmm. both production value and, and storytelling and everything. Like it, it looks like a movie often. Um, so I don't know that we we just were like, eh, we've done we've done 200 episodes of movies. We're gonna mix it up a little. We're gonna do uh, the initial idea here. So what you're getting in this episode at least is the first five episodes. Um, we're, we might stick with that or we might do less. We might do more. We'll see how things go as we kind of move along and progress through seasons. Um, we, at one point we did think about doing a season per episode, but then we realized we'd be asking ourselves to do 10 episodes in one week. And that is a decent amount of stuff to have to watch. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, so I don't know. We're kind of playing about here. We're having fun. We're, we've we've worked in the the structure and we've established the foundation, and now we get to play around with it. You know, mm-hmm. it's the the world is what we make it. Um, yeah. Agreed. Now, now, so so obviously, uh, Game of Thrones based on Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. Let, let's let's kind of do a round robin here and explain all because it, it it is a vast kind of like with the Marvel movies or something. There's a wealth of knowledge out there. So I have read the five Song of Ice and Fire books. I haven't read Fire and Blood, but I've read the five main novels, and I have watched the show through like the early part of season four. Um, mm. I, I know a lot of stuff for, towards the end, but I don't know everything. So we'll be keeping those spoilies light for, for Britain's uh, benefit. Um, <laughs> and now so, – so Tyler, I, I know you guys have watched the whole series. Tyler, what is your familiarity with the books? Yeah, I have read – I read all the books um, probably would have been five or six years ago now. I haven't gone back sure. to them because I would like the next book to come out, and we'll see mm-hmm. if that ever happens. Um, I have read – uh, Fire and Blood. I've read the Dunk and Egg novellas. 
Oh, um, right. Those both quite recently um, and enjoy those a lot. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I am fairly into it uh, in terms and of the lore and everything. Had you read um, them before you started? You saw the show? I think I what I did was start reading them not long before... No, I, I started watching the show, and I think I watched through season three, and then read all the books and caught up somewhere in the middle of season four. Okay, I think is gotcha. What I did. Gotcha. Um, so that was when I re- that, to place that. I guess that would have been twenty fourteen. Okay, that's when I read all those. So. Okay, and Alex, how about you? Um, I have not read any of the books. Uh, Tyler introduced the show to me around the time of the fifth season, I believe. Um, and I've watched the show not all the way through, but I've I've rewatched it as we were building to the final season, you know, a, f- a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fairly familiar with at least the earlier seasons. Um, watched everything through it at least once. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I haven't touched the books um, mostly because. Basically everything about the books and kind of the online community and the reaction to the show and the books and whatnot <laughs> I've learned from Tyler. So I tend to – this is one area of the fandom that I tend to stay away from. So I, I'm kind of in a situation where I, I'm not too emotionally tied to Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire. Mostly because if Martin doesn't finish the books, I'm not – I'm not going to try and, and – you know, get emotionally attached to that if it's not going to sure. be finished. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's kind of my approach. I have yeah. I have often been of the opinion that I don't know. I, a lot of the conversation around the books turns to Martin's health, which I think is gross. Yeah. And and not uh, productive, I guess. Um, I have kind of taken the opinion that I don't know, even if you know. Martin, I hope, is still with us in 25 years. Uh, I don't know that we're still at least going to have the bo- the series finished, or if even he'll finish the next book. Like It, it seems like the kind of thing where it's just become such a weight on him, and they're yeah. massively long books, and uh, with everything going on with season eight, I, I don't, I just, I have a hard time wondering, especially, I think, and, and we'll talk about this, we'll get into more about, like, the differences between the books and where the show dovetails off um i think ultimately the show does a lot of things that are necessary in order to get to the end that the books are not in a position to do and that martin's Mm -hmm. not in a position to do with the books i think it's just such a huge mess to untangle yeah i'd be really surprised if he is able to get it out in in two books uh there's five so far and if he's able to get it out and finish the series with the next two i'd be really surprised if it doesn't end up needing another book Obviously, that's going to take a lot longer. The books have been out for, or the the last book came out in 2011, so it's been nine years, um, which is yeah. by far the longest stretch in the the ever increasing gaps between books. So there's just a lot going on there, um, and uh, I have generally taken the opinion that the show is is you know where we're going to get the ending, and I think it's pretty faithful probably to what Martin intends. Um, We'll talk about it. I've I've made references on this podcast to the fact that I am a defender of season eight. <laughs> um, I there there's at least uh, seven of us probably out there, um, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll put a pin in that, and that conversation will come back around eventually. 
Yeah, I watched the first episode of the show when it premiered because I happened to be at a, I think at like a cast party for a play I was in and when it premiered. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what this is. Um, but then much later, a friend of mine uh, made me watch the whole first season in the middle of summer in his unair conditioned apartment. So it didn't really matter what I felt of the show. I was just <laughs> angry and sweaty. <laughs> um, so a couple of years, so, so much later than that, I finally sat down and read the book and watched the first season again, now with having read the book and then started reading the books and watching the show. And I, I really just burned myself out. I was reading and watching simultaneously and playing the telltale game and just like, that was a big reason why I dropped off in where I did in season four. I was like, I've just I've been in Westeros for so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I love the books. I think they're awesome. And but at the same time, like, yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, so we have also elected to, in lieu of doing best and worst things, we're doing best and worst episodes. Correct. So d- who wants to start? Tyler, you want to take this oh, since this is uh, like your thing? Yeah, I was going to... Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It drops... No, no, that's, that's a good segue. I was going to drop... Talk a little bit about the episodes we're, we're discussing. The episodes on our buffet line, um, <laughs> on our menu, our the, the chef's selection this evening. Um, because, like we said, we didn't really think we could tackle all of one season in one go. Just because we still want to keep a weekly release schedule. And that's a lot to ask of us to watch. Um so this week we're just tackling the first five episodes. Um, so we've got season one, episode one, Winter is Coming. Uh, that has a 9.1 on IMDb. Uh, season one, episode two, The King's Road has an 8.8 on IMDb. Season one, episode three, Lord Snow has an 8.7 on IMDb. Season one, episode four, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things has an 8.8 on IMDb. And season one, episode five, The Wolf and the Lion, has a 9.1 on IMDb. Uh, I, we are using IMDb scores because I find that they have the best aggregate of uh, reviews for individual episodes in such a way that it's actually useful. Um, the, it, will, it will take a turn at some point. <laughs> um, we'll talk about it. I, I kind of see it as a feature and not a bug <laughs> because uh, it's fascinating. Um, but I think for most of the show, it's a pretty good barometer for how people feel about it. Now, also, um, uh, all of these, I was going to say, writers say, and directors real quick. Yeah. Well, I was going to say um, talking of IMDB, uh, you know, Game of Thrones, uh, is, is, uh, rated on IMDB purely by users. And it is in the top 250 TV shows on IMDB. Mm-hmm. It is number 10, uh, number 10. Do you guys know what? T- what do you guys think number the number one user rated TV show on IMDb is? I think I know what it is. Is it? Is it? Is it Band of Brothers? No, that is number three. Oh, is it Breaking Bad? No, number four. The Wire, M- Mad Men. The Wire is number six, and Mad Men is somewhere. Uh, else. All right, we're we're we're, we're falling yeah. behind. We're we're losing ground here. <laughs> uh, the Sopranos? No, uh, Sopranos is is not in the top. It's number fifteen. All right, all right. Well, let me let me guess something totally off the wall. Is it Boston Legal? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> that is on the AMDB, I believe. Oh. The Alex Movie uh, Database. <laughs> Is it is it like Rick and Morty? Is that Rick, is that the Rick and word? Morty? Rick and Morty depressingly is number twelve. 
Uh, okay. Well, one, that's better than one, number one. I would. <laughs> one one place ahead. It is one place ahead of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Ooh. Okay. That stings. Do you guys um, want me to just tell you? Yeah, I I got nothing. I, I, any more guesses? I have, go for it. Oh, you're going to be kicking yourself. The number one user-rated TV show on IMDb is Planet Earth Two. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Or as, I, or as I like to call it, Mars. But, um, <laughs> yep. And the number two is Planet Earth. <laughs> Which I just like to imagine there's this Your devoted... Your top three television shows. Yep. Planet Earth 2, Planet Earth, and The Wire. <laughs> One Band of Brothers. Um, and oh, then, num- brothers and then okay. number seven is Blue Planet, number eight is Our Planet, and number nine okay. is Cosmos, A Space-Time Odyssey. Who is... So, who is reviewing? Because IMDb, and, and like yeah. I mentioned about uh, the later seasons of Game of Thrones, IMDb is notorious for getting like really just swung by uh, massive crowds of people who want to push it to a certain place, and they'll get they'll give a show like all tens or all ones because they want yeah, it to do yeah. whatever. I know that like a lot of uh, dude bro movies are the, on sure. the top. IMDb lists like your your Shawshank Redemption and your Fight Club and Dark Knight, which are I mean not that any of them are bad movies, but just no, no, there's no. been a lot of like oh we're you know we have to make these the the top rated movies. Who is going on and like you know just aggressively reviewing Planet Earth documentaries such um, that they are getting? <laughs> I think I think they must just have a really devoted fan base, uh, and they call themselves Earthlings. So, they're drawing fanfic of all the planets. Um, they're like, I really like the idea of like, and it's it's a bunch of uh, aliens living on Earth trying to blend in, and they're like, "Yes, we love <laughs> oh, the we... show about the Earths." It is our. It's where all our stuff is and was made. <laughs> yes, we are good I... humans. Also, that's yeah, good. that's funny. I'm looking at the top ten movies, and number five is Twelve Angry Men. Sure. Which, great movie, but that is an interesting, uh, yeah, this is an interesting <laughs> list. Anyway, um, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, so, these uh, five episodes I did want to mention. Um, for anyone who isn't familiar, you guys may not be familiar, uh, Game of Thrones generally is mostly written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Um, I think most people know they're the showrunners, but they generally write. Like almost every episode, and I think mm. it's over two thirds of the show. Um, probably a lot more than that, actually. Math is hard. Um, <laughs> they, there's a couple of others that show up. Brian Cogman is one who usually gets at least an episode a season. Um, he is the writer of our episode four today. And then the directors, on the other hand, cycle around quite a bit. Um, the we'll we'll talk more about how this progresses as the seasons go on. Uh, but our directors this episode, the first two episodes were directed by Tim Van Patten, uh, who apparently is a, a guy who did a lot of Boardwalk Empire, didn't mm. seem to have done much else. And then the last three episodes are directed by Brian Kirk, who seemed to kind of disappear after this and only do, did uh, 21 Bridges recently. Um, oh, okay. Which is fascinating. Interesting. But what's interesting is that these directors do not direct any other episodes of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> these are huh. the only which is something i found very strange uh they they never bring them back i don't know if they just went on to other things uh, and and never cycle back around maybe they got busy 
during like season two and just kind of that relationship never came back together. Whatever the case may be, I thought that was very odd because most of the directors we see from here on out uh, are going to be ones that at least pop back up uh, for a couple of seasons. Sure. And uh, we'll, it will especially, I think, become more important as we get to the later seasons to understand who is directing what because of reasons that will come into play. Um, <laughs> so Dark we elves. have decided to uh, knock out the best thing, worst thing in lieu of best episode, worst episode. This for for this structure. Um, what did you guys want to go first? You got an episode you're passionate uh, about one way or the other? I can go. Do it. So we we were talking before the the recording about how, especially with these five episodes, it's it's really just a game of inches. I mean, these are all very close. I think in terms of quality and with the way TV is made right now. Since there aren't as, I mean, with like procedural shows, you can be like, oh, the 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 case was more interesting in this one, or like in mm-hmm. a sitcom, you know, there's varying degrees. But in this, I think these five episodes are pretty consistent. So I, I'm having to dip into just complete subjectivity. And sure. so for that reason, I will say that my quote unquote worst is going to be the first one, Winter is Coming. Mainly because I've seen it like four or five times now, and so it just like <laughs> sure, it just can't have the same effect on me. But it does um, uh, feature a, a scene that is it kind of leaves uh, it gives us a hint. It is an omen of things to come, uh, which is Britain yelling on the podcast, <laughs> and that is, <laughs> uh, of course, the scene in which Daenerys and Drogo consummate their marriage. Sure. Um, now. Game of Thrones is notorious for having very explicit sexual situations and the various ways in which it handles those scenes. In the book, that... The book is written, for anyone who's listening who hasn't read the book, the books are written uh, through uh, point-of-view chapters. So Mm -hmm. you really get into the head of John or Bran or whoever. And Daenerys is, of course, one of those characters. And in when this scene happens in the book, you're going at you're going to it through very clearly through Daenerys's point of view. And and maybe I, this is my interpretation of it, or or me coloring my memory of it. But it's quite clear that she doesn't in the book that she's like, I don't really want to have sex with this Cal Drogo. I'm not really, I don't like any of this situation. But I understand that if I'm going to survive in this community, I have to do this. So I am. It is me exerting my agency to do this. I am consenting. And he says, there's that same exchange of no. Is that the only word you know? No. You know, that whole back and forth. But, and again, I may just be reading into it. He seemed to be genuinely asking in the book, like, is this, do you want to do this? And in the show, he seems to be, it, it seems much more forceful and much less to her. She doesn't seem to consent as much, and sure. there there are much worse examples of this later in the show. But that that's something that I understand. It's hard to get into a character's head as easily as you can in a book, and I think that 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 is a scene they could have. I don't. I don't know exactly how, so I don't mean to play Monday Morning Quarterback here. But I, I think that is something they could have done a little more delicately, 
And I understand the, so much, in that first episode, they really want to make clear that, that the Dothraki are savage, awful people. Like, it's a really brutal society. And I, I, I totally understand that. But I think that a lot of the Daenerys and Drogo relationship is supposed to be a sort of Beauty and the Beast thing, where, like, it starts off and she doesn't like him, but then later she learns that he's nice to a cat or whatever, and then she <laughs> falls in love with him. Now... Mm-hmm. I, there's there's more to say about that relationship that I'll, I'll get to later. So, it, but I, I I still felt like this could that that scene could have been handled a little bit, a little bit better, and and or maybe they just could have done a better job at depicting that Daenerys is still choosing this action even if she's not actually drawn to this guy. Um, that she that 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 act of consent could be an act of survival. Um, but that said, that's the only part of that episode that really bothers me. Otherwise, it's a good episode of TV. The, and, and the yeah, other but, thing about – I was going to say about the books as well. I do not remember more like specifically what exactly or how they, they handle that. Um, I do remember it being pretty uh, non-consensual, I think, in both. It's, it's, it's probably yes. something that uh, maybe could have just not been done and a different yeah. plot point could have sufficed. Um, but, uh, it does not help that she is much younger in the books. Um, right. Definitely. The show kind of tries to, cause everyone is cast generally older and it, it generally kind of raises their ages. I think on average by about five years, it may be like everyone is, is about five years older in terms of like the younger yeah. characters in terms of Daenerys, in terms of our Stark children. Um, yeah, I think in the books, Rob is like 15 or 16. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, it's going so by it, medieval rules. And so it uh, it does bump everyone up, which at least makes her. They reference the fact that she's still quite young in the show, but it's yeah. young in the sense of like, oh well, she's you know like a teenager, whereas right. in the book she is basically a child, which is not great. Um, I think like preteen. I, I don't know exactly what age she's supposed to be, but uh, it yeah. is something and, at least. And, and obviously, the actors cast are all in their early twenties, roughly. I think Amelia yep. Clark and I are around the same age, and so yeah, I think yep. early twenties. Um, so f- therefore, for my best episode, I'm gonna go with I'll go with number five, The Wolf and the Lion. I thought it was pretty cool stuff, despite <laughs> it featuring uh, Lysa and Robin Aaron, who I <laughs> cannot physically stand either of them, and I don't like watching horses die. <laughs> um, <laughs> And frankly, I don't like watching Jory die. I thought Jory was a great character. I liked him a lot. Um, now, but, where where would you rank the horse and Jory in terms of like which is more well, upsetting? They both uh, have beautiful black manes. Correct. And um, ooh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say horse just beats out Jory because <laughs> that horse was just trying to get through the that horse just went to work That's that true. day. It was a good horse, too. It was a good horse. It was a beefy-looking horse. (laughs) It was a beefy horse. That's a war horse right there. (laughs) And Joy did take his sword up against uh, Sir Sir Jamie. Um, True. But but 5 also has a lot of great stuff. I think 5 does a really nice job of showing us not only the extent and the complications of Eddard's devotion to his morality, but also I really like the setup of, of Varys. I think Varys is, a, is awesome. Conleth Hill mm-hmm. is fantastic. 
And I really like the scene where Varys and uh, Littlefinger are talking. Um, that's just a fun scene between two good actors, but I also I like this is the episode that really drives home like okay, Varys is playing all the sides. How do we feel about him? I thought that was some nice stuff. And um, anytime Barristan Selmy is on camera, I'm having a good day. I love sure. that guy. He's awesome. Um, so, yeah. I mean, again, I think it, all of these are good episodes. So that's kind of small. Oh, and you know, the other thing about Wolf and the Lion, it is slightly more focused. It doesn't go to the Wall or to the Dothraki, which I like both those storylines. But it was nice. Like, okay, we're mostly mm-hmm. focusing on King's Landing and then the stuff going to the, the Eerie, um, yeah. which I thought – was was cool. Got a little more time with those with those kids. Who's next? I can go. Yeah, because my picks for best and worst episode are the exact same. Ooh. Different reasons, Ooh. but the exact same. <laughs> um, yeah, episode one is probably the weakest. Uh, like, I have a particularly difficult time judging individual episodes of TV. Um. For me, it's a very which is uh, specifically why I've decided this is how we're going to rank the or to yeah. start off these episodes. It's just to make it uh, worse. Yeah, for he you. W- he <laughs> wanted to put me on my back foot, so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I think the first one, like they're all really good episodes, and I think like this mm. is this is like one of those big things where it's like, oh, this is like this is shocking how good this is. Like it's. <laughs> It it feels like such a cohesive piece, and it has like such a vision to it, and and a lot of that's mm-hmm. to the books, of course. But I do think a lot of credit needs to go to Benioff and Weiss, um, mm-hmm. even though apparently, based on interviews with them, they had no idea what they were doing, and they kind of had to reshoot sure. the first episode, which yep. may be part of the reason why it it sticks the- out a little bit more than the other ones. Um, I think the first they had to then they recast Daenerys at some point. Did they? That's possible. I, I, I the, the story I've heard is that there is a pilot for Game of Thrones somewhere that was shot and apparently was just like unwatchable because it was so it hewed so, so close to the books. Um, I, I haven't looked too deep into that story, but I know that that is a thing. Is that at one point there was a version of of this that was apparently a lot worse, and they had to kind of like mm. completely. Well, it's amazing that HBO would allow it. them to. To yeah. get a second shot at that, I feel like, yeah. especially if you're just thinking like and, a big production studio, if they're like, at the first time you fail, we're not sinking any more money into this. Sure. Stop. And maybe it was just a script. I don't know if they, maybe they didn't completely finish filming know. it. I don't know exactly what it was, but uh, apparently there was a bad version that they had to kind of be like, oh, wait, let's make this entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the first one sticks out the most in terms of just it feels like TV to me. And by that I mean, well, I'm not sure exactly what I mean by that. Something about the, a lot of the production <laughs> design for the the sets, it feels a little TV, and I'm not sure if that's how it's shot, or or just maybe the lack of of a lot of detail within the sets. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what it is. Um, and even I, I don't want to insult. Uh, I can't remember the composer's name. Ramin Jawadi. Yes, um, the Game of Thrones score. Everybody knows it. It's awesome. But I did feel like some of the score in the first episode felt very standard TV. Mm. Like I felt like if I was watching like a History Channel documentary that was set – that was <laughs> focused on medieval times, I felt like a, some of the music there would have worked in that yep. um, as opposed to like sure. Lord of the Rings level quality. Um, 
but yeah, that very minor quibbles. Um, episode one still still a really really good um, pilot and a really good introduction to the this universe. Um, but yeah, maybe it's just the recency effect, and that's why I'm choosing episode five because it's the last one I watched <laughs> this season does such a good job of ramping up the tension by focusing on on yep. this mystery that Ned slowly discovers and becomes mm. kind of obsessed with. Um and kind of when he gets to King's Landing immediately things aren't safe and he's and he doesn't know who to trust and he has to figure this out and can he save the realm and all the stuff that's going on. Um and then you get to the end of episode five and the sword fight and, and all of his men get killed and Jory gets killed and he gets stabbed and the, mm-hmm. like, it's all just like really tense and exciting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. Alex, Alex, did you have trouble? Cause I was thinking about this, watching these five episodes. I mean, Game, Game of Thrones is the books and the show drop us in media res. Like this is just a time in Westeros's history. Yes. And there's so much backstory with Robert's Rebellion and Aerys Targaryen and all this. And I was able to follow it because I, I know it because I've read the books and I've done the I, I know all the backstory. Did, when you first watched the show, did you have trouble understanding not just grasping the whole world, but understanding like all the stuff about the rebellion and the Mad King? Um, It wasn't so much like the political stuff. It was more so the names of characters. Because they would, because <laughs> sure. they would just talk about like like so many of the Targaryens from the past, and I still don't know, like yeah. Daenerys and Viserys. I don't know who their father is. Is if it is the Mad King? Because isn't there like a, a, a is, brother yeah. or something? Like there's a all a yeah. lot of that stuff seems fuzzy. I think for the most part, the the show does a good job of of explaining itself and kind of slowly doling out information as it's necessary, mm-hmm. um, because. This season, this first season, is so tightly focused, and and it focuses so much on the main characters as opposed to like the the broader, um, mm-hmm. you know, world esque elements. Yeah. Um, I think it does a decent job of not having that be an issue. Although, for at least the first couple of seasons, and even still, I'm there are some names that that I'm kind of lost on. Yeah, just just for clarity, it is Aerys Targaryen II. His, he, his children are Rhaegar, Daenerys, and Viserys. Okay, and and Aegar is that Ray Rhaegar? Okay, yeah. There's a Ray. Rhaegar so which one's is, the Mad King? And Rhaegar, Aerys. The Mad King is Aerys. Yes. Okay. No, I was combining Eris yeah. and Rhaegar. That's why I got confused. All right. <laughs> to make a new yeah, character. Well, called. And there's also, like, Aegon the Conqueror, who was, like, the one that started everything yeah. back at the beginning. Yeah. Like, the the thing about the Targaryens is all of their names either have a YS or an AE. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's very easy. Or both. So it's easy to mix on. And, and the books are even more um, tricky because, like, there's a Rob, like, Robin... Aaron is Robert Aaron, so they had to change his name so there wouldn't be confusion. Yeah, and like Bran and Brandon, and there's there's so many like things that when you're reading it, that's one thing. Yeah, but it's kind of like in Walking Dead how Robert Kirkman was like they'd run into more than one person named Paul. Yeah, but it's hard to understand. <laughs> well, I think it also helps that I, I, I'm I'm pretty good with faces, so just having it be a yeah. visual medium 
and relying less that on one. names. I'm just like, yeah, I know. Yeah. And also, right, it right, does right. have have that that um, kind of forethought that the original Star Wars had. That it's like, oh, all of our main characters are going to have very very normal names, like. The weirdest we're going to get is Daenerys, yeah. but, like, we've got John, we've got Ned, we've got yeah. Catelyn, we've got Rob, we've got Bran. Like, all of them, we got Robert, all of them are very straightforward. Like, you, you don't need to, to know how they're spelled. Right. <laughs> Just, yeah. Except how they yeah. sound, and you'll be fine. Yeah. I, I do love that Martin's fantasy name generator is our names, but spelled different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's literally Kevin Lannister. <laughs> like, yes. I love that. Correct. Tyler? Did you? Oh, yeah, you did. Okay. I am going to say the be make the consensus on The Wolf and the Lion. I think it is the best of these. Um, I think it, it's for two reasons. One, like you're saying, Alex, it's uh, the build. And we're continuing to unravel more of this. Um, I think the episode before it as well uh, does a really good job of building up like Ned's investigating, like what was John Aaron up to? Why does uh, why was he looking at this guy working in the smithy? And do we need what, even, why does he like this? Do we book? need to remind people like what exactly the mystery is, or how much do we want to kind of? Because I, I feel like for anyone who's listening to this who maybe hasn't watched the show in a while or hasn't watched the show at all, I feel like they could get lost easily by this. Sure. Um. Yeah. So basically, at this point, Ned is. On the trail of something, he may not be entirely sure what, but basically the ultimate result is that he realizes, oh crap, Joffrey and uh, Tommen and Marcella, they're all the actually the children of Jamie and Cersei and not Robert, King Robert and Cersei. Yes. And so basically they're all illegitimate and obviously this leads into all the big events of the end of the season. Um, and so right now he's kind of like on the trail of that. And... That takes a little bit of a backseat in episode five. Uh, it's still there, but episode five also gives us a lot of just great development of the tensions. Um, I think the, a really big one is the conversation between Robert and Cersei, uh, that where mm. they're just kind of like commiserating about the fact that they hate each other, <laughs> and they're they're just having a drink together and being like, "Yeah, it, this all sucks, doesn't it?" And, like they just have a laugh and it's that's it's, a, it's which, great and it's a great that's a great scene apparently that's a reshoot because they realized mm. that they didn't actually have a scene where cersei mm. and robert talk to each other so they inserted that <laughs> and it's one of but, the best scenes like it's a beautiful scene. one one thing that really struck a chord with me was when robert was was talking about um Lyanna stark um mm. who ended up dying at the end of the rebellion correct is that the story? Yes. Um, and they yep. were supposed to be together, but then uh, Rhaegar, which Targaryen took her. Mm -hmm. Okay, Rhaegar. I got yeah. it. Rhaegar. <laughs> got it. Captured. Um, her, yeah. And, and he says, "You know, you know what the saddest part is? I can't remember her face." And he's like mm. genuinely choking up at that. And yeah. then Cersei says, "Was there ever a chance between us?" And he's like very candid with her, and he says, "No." And Cersei. Yeah. Yeah. Lena Headey's response is just great. Like she gives it like a half second of thought, and then she just drinks wine. Like it's it's perfect. Mm -hmm. The acting on this show is superb from everyone. Oh yeah, there's um, there's a lot to point out, but I do just want to take a minute and highlight Mark Addy as Baratheon. Yes. Mm -hmm. He is. I mean, he's this is this is like a uh, a Shane on Walking Dead, where it's like you're only on for a short time, but like you are one of the best performances on the show. Yeah. He is, and I've seen Mark Addy in a bunch of stuff. Uh, 
uh, Full Monty in Knight's Tale. I mean, he's a brilliant actor, and this is like stupendous work on this. Go find the breastplate is... stretcher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also from from episode five. Uh, great, great yes. bit. Um, Absolutely. Uh, the I think the other thing about episode five is just that it introduces the action <laughs> to the show. Um, it's not really something that pops up uh, before this point, which is crazy. Like, there's not really a, a duel in the first four episodes. Yeah. Um, but then in this one, you get a little bit of uh, Sandor Clegane and Gregor Clegane fighting. And obviously, the the poor horse uh, gets gets its head chopped off. Yeah. And then you also get, um, like we mentioned, Ned and Jamie having the first like real battle like one-on-one mm-hmm. battle right. in the show and it's yeah. it, it's it's pretty short but it's still really cool it's compelling and it's really fun because like G- uh nikolaj kosterwaldu i don't know what i'm, I'm pronouncing uh, nikolai kosterwald nikolai kosterwaldu is it nikolai i thought there was a mm-hmm. j is that not it, 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 it there is there is a j but it's okay. with an i we're gonna have lots of fun pronunciations between the, the <laughs> actors names and the yeah, characters really. names it's just gonna be a good time um, the actor playing Jamie is very, very good, and yeah, it's really fun to see him get into that fight, uh, and then obviously it ends because one of his soldiers stabs Ned in the leg, and he's like, what are you, why, I was, <laughs> I was having fun, what is this about? I did find um, it interesting that he doesn't kill yeah. his soldier, like, I feel like that would be the very yeah. kind of generic, like, big budget bad guy thing to do, um, but instead he just, like, punches him and knocks him out, which, yeah. I thought that was an interesting choice. Maybe maybe they ran out of their budget for fake blood that day. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, we do also get a little battle in uh, on the way to the Eerie, uh, where where Tyrion gets a kill, which I don't know if he kills anybody. Well, that's not true. Um, I don't know if in battle he kills anybody else mm-hmm. um, throughout the show, and so I thought that was neat. He 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 whacks the guy with a shield until he dies. Right. Um, and uh, generally, that's just like, oh, there's an actual like battle happening here. It's a skirmish just in the hills. Um, but it's interesting, and it, it's in, it. I think that mm. makes the uh, sort of relationship, as it were, between Catelyn and Tyrion more compelling in terms of the fact that she's trying to turn him in because she thinks she, he killed their son and all that. Um, it's it's all really interesting development yeah. work. Um, I want to go back to Mark Addy because Mark Addy is the reason why I do not uh, say the first episode is the worst one. Um, I think his entire like position in that episode and, and just everything he comes up and he does that the, the whole scene where he's meeting each one of the Starks yes. uh, children and he's, he's like evaluating them. And then like, he looks at Arya and he's like, Oh, what's your name? Okay. I'm moving on. <laughs> like, the, just the, the way, and you know, he shakes Bran's hand and he's like, you're going to be a warrior. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, and oh, the, uh, when, when he, when he says to Ned, you got fat and Sean Bean does that great little, like, well, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> so good. The, the two of them together is oh, the fantastic. core of the show. Uh, yeah. at this point, like they're so good. Their, their chemistry is amazing. Um, I am going to say, for me, the worst episode or the weakest episode probably is the better term um, was the King's Road episode two. Sure. Um, Remind me what happens in that one. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say is it might just be because it infuriates me so much, um, but it's uh, where we've got both, uh, or we've got Arya fighting with the Butcher's Boy doing some sparring. Oh, God, yeah. And then um, uh, this, is, this is almost Joffrey. mine. 
Yes, Sansa and Joffrey yeah. stumble onto the scene, and then there's a, a little skirmish, which is great because uh, Joffrey gets almost gets his arm like <laughs> ripped off by uh, one of the dogs, Nymeria. Uh, Nymeria. Nymeria. Um, and then Arya chucks his sword into the river, which is fun. Um, and uh, it's I don't know that there's anything actually badly done about that plot plot line, but it's just so like frustrating because obviously then the result is that lady gets killed because they can't find Nymeria. And Joffrey gets to be awful, and there's a great there is a great line where um, Robert is like, "You you let a lady or a little girl beat you up? What are you like? Yeah, why, yeah. <laughs> why are you my son?" Um, and I think a lot of that it works well, but it's just so like heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just frustrated me. It, it does also have the side plot of Daenerys trying to figure out how to better. Uh, be with Cal Drogo and sure. kind of mm, I, yeah. I don't know about all this by way <laughs> of like, Dore- Dorea is that handmaid's yes. name I believe, uh, Dorea. I, believe okay. so. I actually thought that the Daenerys stuff was kind of I, I thought it kind of helped maybe alleviate some of the concerns that Britain raised sure. with it because I, I feel like the, oh I'm sure you did enjoy oh it oh my god <laughs> Um, <laughs> really, 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 really uh, eased some tension. And look, look, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shock some people. I'm gonna, JK. I'm gonna die on this hill. Amelia Clark is a, a pretty lady. <laughs> Whoa, hot take. Okay. Woo. Um, jeez. Hey, could we get an explicit tag for this episode? <laughs> oh my god. I, I did find it interesting that you know she starts off in a very shy place, and I completely forgot kind of how reserved she is, mm-hmm. and just how clearly abusive her brother is from the get go. Um, yeah. So I, I like how immediately when she starts to come in contact with other people she starts to figure out how to take control of the situation and become her own woman yeah. and that's why i appreciated that in terms of taking control of of when she's she's sure. in bed with cal drogo um but then also going back to the the nemeria um joffrey stuff and, and jack gleason as as joffrey mm-hmm. um he he doesn't yeah. get to get a whole lot to do yet, but his time will come. Um, <laughs> and of course, he's the little kid from Batman Begins, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> I like how most of the conflicts at the beginning are very small and very petty, but they have like yeah. they do still have serious consequences. Like I I feel like this show just does a very wonderful job of increasing the stakes. Like the scope just just continues to expand and it doesn't feel like oh you guys got too big. Like giant yeah. blue laser in the sky in your first movie. What are you going to do for the sequel? Like nobody cares now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like they 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 yeah. don't like blow up the world in the first season. Sure. <laughs> and I, I really respect that. I like how it starts with Oh, a, a a dog attacked a boy, like, and now we got to put the mm-hmm. dog out of its misery. Like, that's, I don't know, I like that. Yeah. No, I agree. I think a lot of TV shows, in an effort to get ratings or to impress the viewers, go way too hard, way too soon. Mm-hmm. Which is why I always respect shows like Chuck or Westworld that are like, we're gonna build the tension in other places, so that when when we do finally hit these big twists in these big moments it's a couple seasons in and like it actually counts at this point um i really it was funny watching this first season 
It's kind of like rewatching the early seasons of Walking Dead. Whenever there was a problem, I was like, "You guys are fine. <laughs> I know. I know what yeah. comes later. Like this is nothing. Right. <laughs> you guys are. You guys are a okay." But no, I, I, Tyler, I almost had the King's Road for that exact reason. I'm like, this is not a, a technical or artistic critique. I just really <laughs> hate Joffrey. <laughs> hey, hey, here's another hot take. That Joffrey. Mm, I got a bone to pick with that kid. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Joffrey did nothing wrong. <sighs> I saw it's the scene where a, his mom was saying, is... "You've done nothing wrong. Make up lies. It's fine." Oh man, <laughs> the sh- the show is such a a soap opera in many ways, but in the no. way that it's so good at eliciting just gut reactions to all the characters. Yeah. Where I'm like, I just immediately hate you, and I immediately love you, well, yeah. Sir Jorah Mormont of Bear Island. <laughs> I, I feel like this this show really takes advantage of the television medium in a way that movies just can't do where you really get time with, with all of your characters and, and you, you get lots of opportunities for them to kind of talk with other people and, and get their worldviews out, get their motivations out and really understand how their mind works. Like Joffrey, we all hate him unanimously. Like the world over hates Joffrey. (laughs) Like there's no question about that. But we do get some scenes where, where we say, okay, I firmly understand why he is the way he is. His parents yeah. did not raise him properly, and he was brought up <laughs> it, it, like just expecting to be king and being thrown all of this stuff without having to worry about it. And He also does have a uh, pretty neglectful yes. father in, you know, yeah. in general. Yeah, but – just with with a couple of token scenes, and we we get that. And I feel like with a lot of movies, it's it's just like, eh, we got a good guy and a bad guy. Just like don't. But, but this is like, and, and this goes to to how Martin treats treats his characters. Like nobody is one hundred percent good and one hundred percent evil. They all are just yeah. like flawed human beings with different motivations and and worldviews. And I really really like that. Like, you know, Ned Stark is supposed to be the good guy. And in the first episode, he beheads a boy. Mm-hmm. And that's just because yeah. that's the law of the land. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the sh- I, I really like about this show that it doesn't take with Ned the the lazy anti-hero trope of, he's a really good guy, but we're also going to have him like cheat on his wife a whole bunch because sure. we think that's dimensionality. Um, that they the show and also this goes back to Martin realizes that what's interesting about having this very upstanding moral guy is that you put him in situations where he has to question his own morality and is like okay where does morality and practicality where do they intersect and where do they uh, uh, butt heads and and then to also be entered in a situation where other people will take advantage of his more of his morality to hurt him not where because I don't believe that this show or that Martin feels that Eddard is like a weak person yeah it's just that. He's put in a position where he's like, I, again, uh, in episode five, the whole conversation about what to do about Daenerys, where Robert and everyone on the small council is like, we kill her. And they ranged from Robert being like, I like death. <laughs> I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> like that. All the way to like Pycelle and I think Varys, somebody being like, but regardless of how we feel about killing this one person, if we don't and they come for us, how many people die in a war? Yeah. 
So will we prevent more? And that's just practicality. That's not even about morality. And Eddard's like, no, but it's morally wrong. And they're like, yeah, but what is smarter? And that's just a circular conversation that mm-hmm. can go on forever. I don't mean to keep bringing up Walking Dead, but this is something Walking Dead does really well in its second season with Rick and Shane, where I'm like, well, you're both right, <laughs> you know? Sure. And, and, and I think I like that the show takes that tack with, with Ned that the the conflict is not Ned having to – that like, oh, yeah, good people are actually terrible. <laughs> but that he's – you know, he he's in difficult uh, circumstances. And um, we're going to say it multiple he, times, but like, guess what? Sean Bean's awesome. <laughs> he's he's so good. just our, our our big, uh, strongly accented dad, and we we want him to <laughs> you know do well. But also, dads usually yeah. have flaws, and so it's like that's true. <laughs> you know, every deck has a loose board. <laughs> but yes, I I adore Sean Bean in this show. Mm-hmm. Very very good. Um, I wanted to mention. Talk a little bit about episode three, uh, because I think that's the one we've kind of talked around a bit. And it's also actually a pretty important one in terms of introducing drama and characters and elements. Uh, We get the Serio Pharrell, uh, the first dance, which watching it again, like, I just have a smile on my face the entire time. Like, just his interaction with Arya and, and the way Arya immediately, like, opens up and responds to him. Uh, in a way where she really hadn't felt seemed to be that comfortable through the rest of the show. Like it, it, it feels like characters are constantly putting her in positions where she doesn't want to be in terms of like, Oh, well, you know, you're supposed to be a lady and uh, yada, yada, yada. And, and this is like the first time that she feels like, Oh, my father is supporting me and doing something that's a little bit outside the norm. And yeah. it's with someone who is like really interesting. It can, can connect with me in a way that like, the the sword master at Winterfell is not going to be able to train me <laughs> like it's right. someone who can talk on a level that's going to work more with me and not just be like you just have to be a big strong man and swing the sword around um, right and so that all is wonderful um, we get the introduction of the small council I mean just the immediate like Ned walking up to meet uh, Littlefinger Varys uh, Rinley Pycelle is that it that might be it because um, j- yeah. I. Yeah, and so just the introduction of those four characters who are, if not, like, main characters, at least pretty central to what happens, and they have a lot of power in terms of what's going on in the show, Um, and just the immediately how quickly we kind of get a feel for who all these characters are. Um, I think that's also where we get uh, Littlefinger taking Ned through the garden and he's pointing out, like, oh, that's Varys' spy. Oh, yeah, that's Cersei's spy. Oh, that's my spy. So, yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, that that's my this is my this is my DVD copy of My Spy, starring Dave Batista. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to watch it later? <laughs> um, then uh, also that in that episode, we're getting Tyrion up at the wall, which mm. is just a ton of fun because we're getting a lot of. I mean, he's the one who basically tells Jon Snow, like, hey, uh, just so you know, like all these people did not get any of the same opportunities you got. Like, you know, you may be a bastard, but you're not, like, you were still trained by a rich family and cared for, and, like, you got all these privileges, and these poor guys are just, like, swinging a sword around because, you know, they were sent up north for stealing a piece of bread. Um, I really, really like Tyrion and Jon's relationship. uh, Mm -hmm. That is mostly developed in these episodes. Um Obviously, he kind of splits off after that, but just right. the interactions they have in the first few episodes here are so good and and so helpful for understanding 
who these characters are and like the fact that oh hey we we think both of these might actually be pretty good guys like we we've yeah. got a good feel for you know what their mindsets and and they play off of each other and they John kind of opens up to him and learns to banter with him a little bit instead of just being his his frosty self um yeah. uh, frosty i get it little uh, little, <laughs> little play on words there uh but yeah i i think that that was also a great one um the next episode we do get samwell as well yeah again just so many core characters that are so important to the heart of the show immediately set up yeah uh, just in these first With five episodes. very simple names <laughs> sure <laughs> I do like that because obviously the the Tolkien influence is very clear in that George R. R. Martin his he literally took his initials and put him in his name, mm-hmm. but I do like that we have Sam Tarly as he is, he is Sam Gamgee you know in many ways but I yep. like that he is not like everything Sam does in Lord of the Rings Samwell's gonna do in in uh, Game of Thrones but like Samwell Tarly Samwise Gamgee like that little ode I think is is lovely yep. and John Bradley what a good performance what a likable mm-hmm. guy. Uh, talking of real quickly, the the actor because we're not going to get a whole lot of chances to talk about him. Sadly, who plays Sirio, his name is Miltos Urolmu, uh, Urolmu, mm. I believe. Um, he's been in a lot of stuff, um, most notably uh, in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens as bar patron. So <laughs> keep keep your eyes your peepers peeled next time you watch that movie. Um, but you were talking about Tyrion and John. I really like that 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 dynamic because Tyrion does such a great job of both giving John another outcast to relate to, yeah. but also being able to like put into perspective like, yeah, you have it hard. You don't have it the hardest. Like, right. and and without even being self pitying, like I'm a dwarf, I have it way worse <laughs> than you. Just going like. Hey, me too, bud. And these, like, you did have privileges in your life, and these folks at the wall don't have that. Like, it does a good job of like giving John some some perspective, um, which I think is is important. And Tyrion, like, as much as the show doesn't have clear good guys and bad guys, if, if there is a binary like that episode, like it does do a nice job of going. Tyrion is actually like one of the better people in the show. <laughs> And like the scene where he makes brings the saddle pl- uh, print for for Bran mm-hmm. is really lovely. Um, I like all that very much. Obviously, I, I, you know Peter Dinklage is a god. So yes, um, in, in a show with so many incredible performances, mm-hmm. he might be the best. It's, I, it's yeah. very good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I really love his reaction when Catelyn is uh, kidnapping him in the inn where she's like oh, yeah. you served my father and you served my father and you remember me and then Tyrion's like okay cool <laughs> why <laughs> um, I want to talk about Lena Haiti Lena Haiti Lena Haiti's town um, a little bit more <laughs> because... and we're living here in Haiti's town yes uh, <laughs> she <laughs> She is very, very good. And I think does a really great job of being one of the few characters you can't read right away. Yes. Um, She initially it's like, okay, you know, seems a little standoffish maybe, uh, but she has a a sweet little conversation with Sansa. um, And there's, there's kind of some passive aggressiveness between her and Catelyn. Um, There, there's a line I specifically remember that is like, I think the first line that really starts to make you think, "Mm, 
how how uh how awful is this lady um where she makes a comment about how Sansa's beauty shouldn't be uh held up in the north immediately after they had a, she and Catelyn had a conversation about how mm. um Catelyn basically got shipped out to the north and was promised to yeah. another guy and all that stuff like it's it's immediately like oh that was kind of passive aggressive wasn't it and then of course mm-hmm. the end of the first episode we get uh incest and pushing a child out of window <laughs> which is like okay i think they're the bad yeah. guys <laughs> um <laughs> but still like throughout the end even talking about the scene with robert um there are so many great moments where she's got a depth to her that is not just entirely oh i you know i'm just an insane evil lady she kind of is at points. Um, I th- I feel like I remember the books being really, really uh, hard on that, like really turning it into like, oh, she is completely psychotic. Um, I feel like the show I don't doesn't really go quite that far. I mean, it does, but obviously that's later seasons. We'll talk about it. And my point we're is, living I here in, in Hades Town. Yes, my point is, I think this early season she really does a great job of building out the character and building out the fact that oh she's been through a bunch of crap um yeah she she is doing some really horrible things right now in terms of uh having children not with the king and like but also maybe she's justified in that i don't like there's there's a lot to her in this that's played in such a way that you can continue to kind of like looking back at the show now it's like oh obviously she's she's evil cersei whatever um yeah but it's she plays it in a way where early on, I think if I was just watching the show for the first time, that's not something I would necessarily like catch on to immediately. Or I, I sure it would take me a while to really be like, okay, this lady is is the worst. I hate her. <laughs> I was gonna say like at this point, without future knowledge, it's like, well, I know I dislike you, but I don't know if you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I I had forgotten that she did technically have a child with Robert. And the child died. Mm-hmm. Like, I forgot that was even a yeah. thing. Yeah, same. So, yeah, I, I do. On, on some level, I feel bad for Cersei. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm looking at Jack Gleason's IMDb. Joff- uh, Joffrey was the last thing he did. Yeah. Hmm. Now, that said, he was in a short film called Tom Waits Made Me Cry. So... <laughs> Now that said, he he, I think he might be doing theater. I think he might sure. have gone to do theater since, which is which is totally cool. Because I would hate, I would hate to think that he like, I hate to think people wouldn't cast him because he was Josh. No, you know, <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure he would be he like said that in like the press and stuff. Like I, I'm finished with with acting and, and stuff like this after Game of Thrones. Okay, I can imagine because like I'm I'm sure that uh. I'm sure he's gotten some unfair flat sure. because he did a he did he did a good job playing a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting yeah. how people just get so tied, and of course, like we get super tied to the movies we discuss and whatever. But like, yeah, yeah. So many people get so emotionally invested, they think it's real life. So when a character mm-hmm. on TV does something horrible, like completely unforgivable, they somehow think that the actor is responsible for it. I don't understand that. Like, yeah, like there's there's you know, so many cases of of actors or, or and, and even the people behind the scenes, like they don't deserve death threats either, but they get them. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really interesting because uh, I think you see a similar thing happen where uh, when people write something that 
uh, <laughs> the audience may not necessarily like. Kind of the same effect happens where they, they find reasons to call them a bad person as opposed to maybe just saying, hey, I did not like this thing you created. Yeah. I don't know. What, this and, is not relevant at all. Um, I just yeah. <laughs> and yet people – and yet – Artists who actually do terrible things are defended because they made good art, as though <laughs> somehow it's it's okay as long as you made a good movie, but not vice versa. Uh, people. Um, something. J- Jamie is such an interesting character to me, and I, I like that he has a, a, a tumultuous arc, which mm-hmm. obviously there, there's more to come, but... Just in these five episodes, I think Waldau is so is so fun. Like he he gives Jamie really good. There's like humor there, mm-hmm. and I I like that fight between him and Ned because there's a lot of talk about how Jamie's the finest swordsman in the Seven Kingdoms, and it's nice to actually get to see that. Yeah. Um. And I and and I like them. There's like a moment in that fight where he realizes, oh, you can do something. Like where he and Ned are fighting, there's like this flash of, oh, you're this is like an actual opponent. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually who is truly going to challenge me, and then, yeah, like you said, when this his guy stabs Ned, it's like, oh, that was, oh man, <laughs> I was having a good day. And it's really, I'm trying to think ahead, and maybe I'm missing something. I think it's about the only time we ever get to see Jamie in full form, uh, being a being a fighter. Maybe. Um, so Maybe. it's 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 interesting. We'll we'll revisit that yeah, down the line. Stuff to come. And I think that's also again a very interesting. We should probably talk about subverting expectations. Oh no. Um <laughs> Oh no. Which is such a buzzword immediate like, oh, you're just using this as an excuse to uh, say that a thing is that it's a bad, it's good. Um No, this is really what the show is trying to do and not just the show but George R. R. Martin like yeah. There's so many fantasy tropes that he is trying to just turn on their head in such a way to make you think more about like where they come from and how like realistic they actually are. Um yeah. and so like this one it's oh he's the greatest sword fighter in the land. Uh, you know, he looks like Prince Charming. Okay, what what are we what are we doing with this? Oh, he he has A he has uh, incest with his sister the queen. Um yeah. B he does not really ever like get to use his sword fighting to get him out of situations. Like we immediately like basically turn him a completely different direction. Um, and that, I, that's just really fascinating to me. Uh, Ned in general, I think I, we talked about like, he is very much like a mentor. He's, he's, he's the character Mm -hmm. that would be the, uh, the person guiding the main character in any traditional fantasy novel. But yeah, we change it around and who would die early on. Um, but we change it yeah. around and we focus on him throughout the majority of this season. And so like, the, there's a lot of really interesting things that play there and it, it really comes into fruition later in terms of how he, George and or D and D take particular elements and, and kind of turn them into something else. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to come up. We're going to have to talk about it. I know some of you are probably listening and are just like, Oh no, they, they are using that as the defense for the show. I'm not even <laughs> saying it's a defense necessarily. I'm just saying like explicitly, this is a thing that was done in the show and it will come up a lot. And I think it's really fascinating. I think there's some really cool stuff they do with it. So we'll, it yeah. will not be the first time we have to bring up subverting expectation. Yeah. <laughs> I agree, and and I like that Jamie 
just from a, a, a TV perspective, does get to be a character, which mm-hmm. means that this very handsome actor doesn't just have to show up and be handsome and be good at fighting. Be, like, be handsome and evil. And, <laughs> yeah, and we will get scenes later on. There's one in particular I'm thinking of in season three yeah. that we're, we're like, Nikolai Costa-Waldau really has to act. And he really brings it. Like, he's a good mm-hmm. actor in, in these movies. Uh, in the, excuse me, in this, in this show. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think he's he's just uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, this show is just filled with even these little. Like, I love Maester Lewin so much, <laughs> uh, played by the great Donald Sumter in in Winterfell. He's so wonderful, and of course Julian Glover, who's appeared on this show uh, two, three times now. Yeah. I mean, Star Wars and Bond. Which Bond movie is he the villain in? Uh, For your eyes only, the most forgettable yeah, Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, what happens yeah. in For Your Eyes He's... Only? You can't look at any other material. Go. Well, uh, James Bond is in it. Um, <laughs> he probably seduces a woman. Um, I bet there's a, like a chase. There's a chase of some sort. You're on the money so far. Guns are involved. Guns are okay, involved. Yeah. Um, it's a bad guy with like an evil plan, and it's it it uses some sort of like props or effects that are are kind of weird and and uh, amateurish. Um, <laughs> wasn't Julian wasn't Julian Glover in uh, Indiana Jones as well? Yes, he's the bad guy in uh, uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade, yeah, yeah. What a what a, a prolific actor. Uh, apparently, he was in Troy. Um, <laughs> As Triopas. I thought you were going to say but, uh, he I was really... in Troy as Troy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the titular Troy. Um, he, he's, And I just love that he's just like, Pycelle's just an old man. <laughs> he's just, all everything he says is like, <laughs> yes, well, maybe. <laughs> I think he's uh, just a lot of fun. Somewhere in the midst of that bit, I did not realize who you were talking about. And you have just made me realize... Let me let me make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Who is he in... Is he the... Okay, yeah, so he's the bad guy from the third Indiana Jones movie. I've never, I've never made that yeah. connection. I've never realized that's the same guy. That's yeah. fascinating. Anyway. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's all over the place. Uh, if I'm thinking of any other potential negatives, because the first five episodes have so few, and maybe this is me thinking too far ahead, uh, Bran's story is a little boring and slow, and it stays boring and slow for the most part. That was actually the other thing I I, I meant to mention about episode two, um, is that that's like the other, like, uh, component of that Mm -hmm. episode is... Yeah. He's in a coma, and um, an assassin tries to kill him, and it's kind of, I guess it's not, it's not, again, there's not really, like, a bad element to it. It's just not, like, as compelling, because it's, I don't know, it's right. just, oh, hey, some, some guy tried to kill Bran, and uh, he got attacked which by says the something that the Which says something that the assassin is one of the le- le- lesser interesting parts of the show. Yeah, now, and it's but, kind of but, like, well, I was just going to say, that's part of... That's like the tip of an iceberg into a much larger conspiracy yes. that I don't even know if the show ever like fully fleshes out in terms of what all is happening behind the scenes in these early episodes. Um, I was going to ask, do we know at this point who sent that assassin? 
I believe we, I know it, the books confirm what that deal was at some point. I don't actually know if the show ever does. I don't think does. the show um, okay. does. Because they give because us the fake it, version um, that, yeah. that Catelyn is led to believe, but I don't think we ever get confirmation about who that fancy dagger actually belongs to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it wasn't I, So it wasn't Jamie. I thought it was maybe Jamie who sent him. Mm. Um, okay. The books also, I think it's it's like a throwaway, throwaway line. Um, where basically there's just like a scene where they confirm what, what the deal was. Um, but I actually don't know if I remember, I, I want to say, uh, spoilers, I guess, for something that may actually never be in the show. I want to say the books confirm that it was Joffrey and that Joffrey was trying to basically impress, uh, I don't know if the idea was impress his father, maybe, maybe impress Cersei. I like, there was some sort of weird motivation there, and he stole the dagger and, and, and like, paid these asking to do it. I believe that's the case, and we, we can double-check that and have more information next week. Point no, is I'm, it I'm looking it, it up, and that, that's what it says, yeah, that Joffrey yeah. did it. Okay. Um, and I don't think the show ever references it, because it's not really relevant beyond this point. Um, Littlefinger basically is like, oh, I can use this to, uh, you know, basically sow more discord. Um, and just kind of rolls with it. So uh, it's, yeah, basically there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. A lot of the stuff with John Aaron happening early on here um, that will eventually get some reveals later on uh, is not really explained. We basically, because basically it's, Ned is investigating all this stuff and he, and Ned and Catelyn both, I guess, are investigating all this stuff. And they're like, what's going on? What are all these crazy behind the scenes things? And then uh, when Ned bows out at the end of this season, we no longer have someone investigating right. that. And so it's just like, well, who, who's uh, going okay, yeah. to look into uh, it? Like, what? Also, I remember on my first watch, because we don't actually see John Aaron's face, like we see him, like yeah. we, we see his funeral service or whatever, and he's got the coins over his eyes, but we never actually see what he looks like. And then when we mm-hmm. get to um, his wife, like three episodes after that four episodes after that is she introduced in episode five yeah yeah yes like there's say, yeah. there's a bit of a disconnect like if you are paying attention you could be like okay i I know who this is in relation to this guy but like on a first watch it can be kind of hard to pick up some of the mm-hmm. details like that so like i remember when we watched it the first time and it got to that part and it's like, the Lannisters killed my husband. I'm like, who is your husband again? <laughs> oh, wait. Like, that's the inciting so, incident for all of this. Yes. Oh. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, like, John Aaron kind of sparked the whole thing, right? Because mm-hmm. he was in, he was investigating Joffrey's parentage. Yep. And then that spiraled out right. with his with his death. Okay. Which is, a, which like, is, again, it's, which is it's really interesting, a, yeah. It's such an interesting approach to revealing information to the audience because it's like, we're not going to give you this information just offhand. Like, we're not going to just show you the characters plotting together to, tell, to, to explain everything that happened because we're more concerned with the consequences. Yeah. And eventually you'll like, we, we will address this, but at that point, everything will seem so much bigger yeah. <laughs> that we don't even, it's just like, Oh, right. Wow. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't actually, I don't know. It, it's really, it goes back to the fact that the show is very much focused on consequences and on like, I mean, realism, like we're, you yeah. know, we're, we're not going to get all the answers to all our questions 
just because you know it would make sense to give that to the audience at this time um, right and i think it does make it a little bit more inaccessible uh i definitely remember the very first time i watched the show uh with some friends being like i don't know what this is and then watching some <laughs> episodes be like well this is fun to watch but i have no idea what's <laughs> happening um it, like i think it does hurt a little bit. And I think there's a lot of people who have watched the entire show and really like still have not really made some of these connections because the show's not really focused on them. It's more focused on the actual, like what is happening right in front of you and what are the salient plot points for these characters. Um, so I know it's, it's interesting. And, and I think it comes from the fact that it's, it's trying to much, much as, uh, as Yoda might lift to the X wing out of the swamp. It's trying to extricate <laughs> an entertaining story out of the, just complete mess that is the A Song of Ice and Fire series uh, because that series is just so sprawling and so like yeah. <laughs> yeah. just impossible to corral I guess is the the word so and unlike the, unlike the X-Wing this story can conceivably function sure <laughs> <laughs> it, he used because that X-Wing healing. was covered in okay she, he used force to get all the seaweed off yeah, it, it's force healing, but for a for a ship. You know what would have saved Rise of Skywalker is what if that? after he lift he lifted the X wing out of the the thing, he went. I could really use those power converters right about now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's when he sends Ray to go pick up power converters exactly uh, from uh, Tatooine. Exactly. From <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy and her little Tatooine uh, uh, used parts store. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, uh, before we start uh, it, it, seeing if there's anything else to talk about, I wanted to quickly mention the character Illyrio Mopatis, mm-hmm. uh, the Pentoshi merchant who orchestrates Daenerys's wedding or betrothal to Caldrogo, who all and and who I think later is seen conspiring with Varys. Uh, Illyrio is a, an important character, but not a, a, a big character. But he is played by Roger Allen, who is a character actor from a ton of stuff. He was in The Queen. Mo- perhaps most notably, though, he was the original Javert in Les Miserables before ah. it came to, to Broadway, which I did not know. But he he was the he was Javert in London, uh, which is wild. And I love that he's like this very prolific, esteemed actor stage screen all this and like hey can you come be this guy with a kooky beard and like two episodes of our (laughs) tv show sure thing well that's a a really fascinating thing because that scene specifically happens in the books um but you don't know who varus is talking to um and so like that's kind of like a big thing actually is that you find out no he's conspired he's varus is actually conspiring with uh, Illyrio to try to bring Daenerys back, and like he, he, Varys is actually a Targaryen supporter. Like that's actually a big thing that we don't really. I don't remember yeah. if maybe we don't know who. Either I did of have them a question or... about that. So, so that is supposed to be the takeaway because there's that scene where Arya yeah. is chasing a cat, and she goes down into the dungeons, and she finds all the big dragon bones, and then we come across mm-hmm. Illyrio and Varys talking. Um, first off, I had to rewind it to realize that was Illyrio. So. I think that's yeah. kind of yeah. He's in, he's pretty. I shadowed, think that's kind yeah. of an issue in terms of communicating to the audience what's happening. But then the dialogue went by so fast between the two of them. Like I had to rewind it a couple of times to catch everything with the with subtitles mm-hmm. on. 
So the idea from that that I'm supposed to glean is that Varys does secretly support Daenerys. Yeah. Okay. Because I wasn't I I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Which I I'm I want to follow this in terms of how the show tracks it or how the show duels out the information um, as we get into the next set of episodes. Uh, but so the idea is that he. I believe wants the attempt to poison Daenerys to work so that Jorah can get more trust. There's something going on there. I, I don't remember exactly what mm. the, the logistics are there, but we can tackle that in the next episode. Okay. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. We haven't really touched much on Daenerys and, and everything across the, the Narrow Sea, but... um. Because obviously the big stuff with her is to come in literally the next episode of the TV show. Um, (laughs) But uh, there's, in some ways, I think her transition from shrinking Violet to burning forest is is quick. (laughs) But also, like, they've only got ten episodes and they have a lot to cover, so, like, I'm okay with that. Um I'm generally, I, I think Cal Drogo is kind of a uninteresting character. I understand why he's so iconic because Jason Momoa has a lot of charisma and his look is, and I totally get mm-hmm. like he, he was this big hunk and everyone was all right. about him. But just, I don't think Drogo is very interesting. And this kind of goes back to something I've talked about where like, I don't like the fetishizing of the bad boy thing sure. in media. But then at the same time, Drogo is a character who exists to. He he was was the, when when George R. R. Martin was constructing Drogo, he used the mold of a fridge because that is where Drogo was going. <laughs> you know? To he his role in this story is to die so that Daenerys can inherit the Kalasar and become who she was always meant to be. Yeah, which is really cool. Like that's really neat to see a male character in that in that place. <laughs> but I, I think enjoy that does seeing kind of... male characters get murdered. Well, in, in the sense of like, <laughs> no, we, I, we I, talk I so much about do. that, yeah. And but at the same time, it's like he doesn't like he doesn't really do much in these five episodes. Like he'll show up and go, Najita, which might be Klingon, but um, he he'll show up and grunt and then disappear. Like it's well, it's much more about uh, Daenerys and, yeah. and again, my man Jorah Mormont. Jorah, Jorah might be one of my favorite characters on the show. I really mm-hmm. like him a lot. Um. I like that he's just, like, I don't know. He's a, he's a very soap opera character of, like, I have a dark past, but I'm very loyal. <laughs> or like, am he, I? He, I just assu- I assume that Ian Glenn re- practiced all of his lines while looking out a bay window. <laughs> uh, but I love it. I think it's great. So, yeah, it, I don't know. I don't know if there's a ton to talk about with Daenerys yet. There will obviously yeah. be. But it is interesting. So far, it's just the it, basic. It's interesting like, comparing the relationship between Daenerys and Khal Drogo to uh, the relationship between Amelia Clark and uh, Jason Momoa. Because, <laughs> like, Jason Momoa is, like, very crazy, and apparently I think there's a story where, like, the first time they met each other was, like, in an airport or something on their way to filming, and he just yeah. yells, Wifey! And he, like, runs up to hug her. <laughs> Yeah, they're so. I think they're like big yeah. buds. Like he's supposed like really protective of her. Like they're just like good pals, which is adorable. you know what? If you're gonna cast like Momoa's a big like a muscular cool guy who looks nothing like Kyle Reese, let's get Jason Momoa in there for 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 our remake <laughs> I mean, of Terminator Genesis. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
Yeah, Momoa is honestly though like he's really he he's a delightful presence yeah. <laughs> in in Earth and in media. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else like major that I need to. We cover have not from these five. We episodes. haven't discussed White Walkers at all, or the the fantasy versus uh, more sure. historical, realistic elements of mm. the show. Well, which. I would say the reason we we haven't is because uh, is the first scene. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and I and I like that. I like that because I I forget that constantly is that the show and the book opens with like there there's these crazy zombie things in the forest. Anyway, <laughs> moral ambiguity. I do have well, and I like that there is. Nope. Oh, I was just gonna say I do have questions about the fact that they're located so close to the wall and as we keep going i'm kind of confused about kind of the geography of where the white walkers yep. are actually supposed to be and all that that's well and it it does raise the question of um like how far back do they go cuz like we see them exiting the wall but it could be you know much right. later that they're actually back there i don't also, know also uh matt um, damon with an english accent that was fun yes yeah <laughs> It's not, um, it's, it's not actually Matt Damon. I, I, I but it, it sure it does. Sure, look looks like, Matt Damon, like him. Um, I was gonna say I do like the fact that, especially with like Tyrion and and, and John, um, we get a lot of the, and, and Jamie I think uh, has some Snyder marks for John about this. We get a lot of uh, oh the White Walkers. Come on, they're not. Yeah, that's not a thing. Grumpkins and snarks. Yes. Um, and then we get, you know, we uh, old Nan's stories to Bran. She's talking mm-hmm. about them a little bit. And so, like, we're only ever getting this from the side of the people who have not had to deal with these white walkers right. in thousands of years. Right. So, like, they're obviously not going to believe that they exist. Um, and so, I don't know. It's really interesting. I think the one part of Bran's story that I liked was when the old lady who's just knitting by his side and telling him stories. She's like, don't do you, don't you want to hear one of my stories? And he's just like, no. <laughs> Or, or he says, I'm like, I hate your stories. Yeah. I found that amusing. Uh, your stories are like, your stories are like sand. They get everywhere. <laughs> I, um, I, yeah, but I will say Isaac Hempstead, right, is really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Like for a very young boy, he's super good in this, in this season. Yeah. The little, uh, conversation he has with, uh, Catelyn, um, or he's like, She's like, yeah, I've told you never to climb on the walls. Yeah. Promise me never to do it again. And then he like looks down, and he's like, okay, I promise. And then she says, the oh well, you know, you always lie, look down before you lie. And then he laughs and and runs off to go find Ned or whoever. Like that's a such a sweet little, well played yeah. just bit. You you forget how little time the Stark family is actually around each other. Mm-hmm. That like. Yeah, I mean, it, they we, very quickly get separated. Yeah, we really, I mean, like, talking about at least, you know, the first half of the show or, or thereabouts, um, in a lot of cases a lot longer, you really only get, like, one scene of John and Arya, and you only get, like, one scene of Catelyn yeah. and Bran, or I guess I, you called a couple. Um, but, like, it's it's all in those first couple of episodes, and then half the family just is off to the wind and like, you, yeah. you know, never gets to really interact. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how much that, uh, colors the way the characters act and you just kind of 
are constantly thinking about that and how much you just want the characters to interact more. Um, yeah. And which the show loves to play with a little bit. Uh, yeah. It's a very unique setup for where everyone's yeah, at. I, I, I like the scene with where John gives Arya a needle. That's obviously very sweet. And I love the scene where Ned talks to her before he gets mm-hmm. Syria. Like that's just such a sweet N- scene where Ned like does understand that Arya does not want a, a courtly married life. But he also is like, but that's that's the only thing that there is. But also, I know that's not who you yep. are. And I like when he brings uh, Sansa the doll because that, that then that's just a moment of like, oh, dad, cringe, oh, <laughs> oh, dad. <laughs> well, I, also, I think it's also um, just okay. clear from the couple of scenes that we get from kind of when all the Starks are together that Catelyn is clearly the one that's actually been taking care of the kids, particularly the <laughs> sure. daughters. Um, and that Ned's yeah. like having to lead and be in charge of this place and oversee all this stuff. So when, when like you switch that and he's actually having to kind of be a father, he's totally out of his element. The mm-hmm. line where he goes, yeah, you know, wars were much harder than daughters. I like <laughs> that a lot. <laughs> I also really uh, like, Michelle, uh, yeah. Ned telling john hey we'll talk about your uh your mother uh, when yeah. i come back <laughs> i'll come back yeah the next time we'll i talk see about you. your mother Oof. uh <laughs> and then uh i think benjen leaves at some point during these few episodes yeah right? benjen leaves uh, right yeah pretty early closely around the time that Tyrion leaves castle black yeah, there's just a lot yeah. of fun uh, balls that the the show throws into the air. It's just like it'll come down eventually. <laughs> it uh, is funny watching watching Benjen this time around. I was like, Benjen's wearing gl- his gloves a lot. He must have some very cold hands. Hmm. <laughs> 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 a clue. That's a thing we'll talk about. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we have any other thoughts here i think we've uh, no i mean covered you know. most of the characters i say probably missing someone huge uh we, we uh have... grin <laughs> grin of course who again though <laughs> the grin and pip um yeah and alistair thorn like yeah that... jor mormont yeah like there there are these characters that they immediately just establish and yeah. it's, I mean, obviously it's because they do have a framework to work with. There, There is a full yes. book series, uh, rich book series to to pull off of. Um, but still, I mean, I think just like the confidence in terms of picking the right characters that are like, these are the characters yeah. you're going to stick with and get attached to. And like, you're going to recognize all their faces when you go to watch this show again. It's not like, oh, that person disappeared after a while. What happened to them? It's like, yeah. you, you know what happens to all these characters. Um, it's neat. Yeah. I'm always happy to see James Cosmo, who played Jor Mormont of mm-hmm. the Night's Watch, because he's Father Christmas in the first Narnia movie. That is true. Oh. And so every time I see him, I'm like, Santa! <laughs> Santa's here! Old rustic Santa. He's so good. Um, we haven't really talked about Sansa, I feel like. Do we have any any thoughts um, on her yeah, so I, I remember very well that early on in the show she got a lot of flack because everyone was like, oh, she's such – basically it boiled down to she's being such a girl. I feel like she gets flack um, no matter I, what. I, I feel like yeah. 
she yeah. ends up having the the Skylar White effect where just everyone yes. always hates her for mm-hmm. some reason. I'm like, how about maybe she's just a character and like you're projecting a lot of yeah. stuff on her. <laughs> And and I don't obviously know much for the future of the show, but I in, in this part like she's a thirteen year old girl. Like, what do you want she, her to be? She wants doing to be thinking, a princess, like, and she's been told she's going to marry the king. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I like that you have these two daughters, one of whom has rejected all of these societal ideals, and one of whom is like totally going along with them. Because guess what? That happens in the real world all right. the time. Yeah. Like, and I feel like everybody got on Arya's side because Arya's like, no, I want to fight. And people are like, I like fighting, therefore I like this one. But then with Sansa, it's like, well, she's not going to kill anything, so I don't like her. (laughs) And, like, of course she has, like, irrational responses to things because she's a kid. Like, what else should she be doing? I don't know. I I like her, and I think Sophie Turner does a really good job. There's a really I forget who actually like who the conversation is actually between, but I I believe there's a conversation where Ned is talking to Arya, and Arya mm. says something like I hate Sansa, um, yeah. and Ned's trying to explain to her like why Sansa is is she was just doing what she felt like she was called in front of the king and queen to testify about what happened to their son, yeah, it's like terrifying. what is she gonna do, who's she supposed to yeah. marry, um, and I think that's a really great just like they're. The characters think about things in the show. Uh, it's, yeah. it's really refreshing. It's just... <laughs> they have motivations. <laughs> they have flaws. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, no, I like Sansa. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're not doing, like, official, like... Le- we're doing letter grades for the seasons, not yeah. for the episodes. Um I do have a recommendation because, hey, not everything has to change. Yeah. Um, Actually, it does. You can do a recommendation. Can I recommend? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to recommend a mini series, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, uh, Peter Dinklage is great. And so I'm going to recommend a great Peter Dinklage movie called The Station Agent. Hmm. Uh, this is a movie by Tom McCarthy, who made Spotlight and The Visitor. Um it is uh, the story of a man played by Peter Dinklage whose only friend passes away and leaves him like I think it's it's it, it's like a train station like this little house on a train station and Peter Dinklage is like I'm gonna live here and I'm just gonna be a hermit and I'm just not gonna deal with the world because the world does not is not kind to me and while there he meets some of the locals played by Bobby Cannavale and uh, Patricia Clarkson. And it really just becomes this, like, three-character dramedy of these three people becoming friends and having their own arcs. Um, It's really well-written. It's beautifully acted. I mean, all three of these are world-class actors. Cannavale's magnificent. Clarkson's always good. And Peter Dinklage is, like, obviously amazing. And it's it's a very different performance from Tyrion. Um, He's not, not, like, snarking and drinking and knowing things. Mm -hmm. Um but he's he's really really beautiful in that in that movie. I'm not sure if it's on any of the major streaming services, but it's totally worth a couple bucks to rent it or if you can find it, totally watch it. It's just a great movie and it's always nice to see Peter Dinklage in a role where he gets to act. Um which is something he gets a lot more of uh since Game of Thrones. And this was like I think this movie is from like 2003 or something. Oh well. Um yeah, but it is worth watching. The Station Agent 
I know that's I've a big thing. Oh, HCTS. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say, I know that's a big thing with Peter Dinklage. And we might have talked about this before in another... I know we talked about Elf. Um, oh, yes, yes, I think we did. But the fact that he, like, refused to take roles that he, you know, found offensive or, like, that he he didn't want yes. to do. Like, that's something that... Yeah. Uh, like, I think he said that he, he's gotten... Or he got pressure as he was trying to build his career to be like, oh, just take, you know, whatever, like anything you can get. But it's like, no, I want, I want to play a real character, not be right. a stereotype or whatever for, I don't know, some dumb comedy. And so like, yeah, I'll be in a smart comedy like Elf. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is a movie that like Game of Thrones doesn't like the character is written to be a person with dwarfism. Like that's part mm-hmm. of the thing. Um, and I don't know if that was something that McCarthy changed for Dinklage or not, but regardless, like that's part of the thing, but it's very respectful and like gives Peter Dinklage a lot of room to like be an actor sure. <laughs> and not just, yeah, like you said, not just be a punchline or a stereotype. Yeah. He's great. You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCT Sequels. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. You just search Here Come the Sequels. And you can also email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. Did I do it right? I feel like I probably didn't. Okay. I think you did. (laughs) Yeah, so no (laughs) grades this week, but when we get to the end of the season next week, then we will throw out grades for the whole season. Correct? Yep. Correct. Yes. All right. Yeah. TV, HCTTV, <laughs> HGTV, H. Ooh, here go the sequel. Here go the. <laughs> here, UHF. I've been Britain. <laughs> I've been Alex. I've been Tyler. And you're uh, you're having a good night, probably. Hodor. <laughs>